Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 11.28 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the 23rd of September, 2022. This is episode 619 of Bitcoin and I'm going to be doing something just a little bit different today. Uh, we'll do some news and and I will, I will drag you through the blood that is the market <laughs> today as normal. But uh, first, I kind of wanted to start off with uh, a discussion about what happened at last night's Cattlemen's Association meeting uh, up here in Eastern Washington, uh, why I went, how I found out about it, why I think it's important, um, and sort of the some of the things that fell out of that that meeting, and it was good. I it was sent me it sent me home with a lot to think about, but not stuff that was different than I was already thinking about. Uh, we'll we'll get into that. Uh, but first, it's time for boost boost grams, bitches. Now I'm using a fountain app. Um, as usual. And the first one up is Pitar, 8,000 Satoshis. He says, permissioned distributed ledgers disregard proof of work as work as wasteful because all it allows you to do is a decentralized, secure, neutral, censorship resistant blockchain. They discard the openness and trust five named parties to sign transactions according to the rules the parties design. Quiz, who said this? in March, 2017. Right, I don't know, but I'm sure it probably starts with the V. Uh, The dollar is dead, long live Bitcoin. Letter 6173 with the striper boost, 7,777 sats. Uh, If you didn't know, Pitar sent me 8,000 sats. I don't know if I said that. Uh, Fatoshi with 5,000 sat boost says, please tell your Android users to check out F-Droid and install tracker control. They will be glad that they did. Thanks, buddy. Acerus underscore a BTC with 3,333 Satoshi says, booya, up and running with fountain. Thanks to ya. <laughs> it's nice and rhymy. Yeah, uh, Acerus got a hold of me on, uh, on Twitter uh, yesterday and said that apparently I had cajoled him enough to uh, try out fountain app. There are like, you know, and, and both me and Acerus was, are former, um, oh God, oh, uh, Overcast users. And don't get me wrong, man. Overcast is a baller platform for podcasting. It's got all kinds of neat stuff that Fountain doesn't have yet. Uh, we need to get on the Fountain guys and, and well, not get on them because they're working as fast as they can, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but to mildly and, and gently suggest things like Overcast has better speed up control, like being able to, it, it, it sounds better on Overcast when you go, 1.5 times the, the speed, two times the speed, anything over that. And it's just sounds like fucking chipmunks, but whatever. But one of the things they also have that Overcast has that Fountain doesn't is the ability for me to tap my AirPods in my ear twice and skip ahead 30 seconds. I don't know if you knew that you could do that on some podcasting apps. Overcast has that. And I haven't been able to, to I, it, it doesn't seem to work with, um, uh, fountain app. These are little things, guys. These are little things, things that make the user experience better, but all in all fountain app, good, solid foundational podcasting app. I highly recommend everybody try it out because the reason I'm using it instead of overcast is that overcast hasn't put in that they're not podcast 2.0 compliant. And I just don't have time for that bullshit. Uh, Fatoshi with another 500 Satoshis. 
Uh, did you hear about the lettuce even a dolphin wouldn't eat? It was unfit for purpose. <laughs> of course, porpoise. Yeah, it's, it, you, uh, never mind. Uh, God, that was awful. Fatoshi with another 500 says, you're going to give up reading these at some point. <laughs> Probably not. Fatoshi with another 500 sats says, yo, if I fall asleep while listening, can I have my sats back? No, you can't. Well, make it, we'll work a deal. Whatever. <clears throat> User with a shit ton of numbers. 100 sats says, from your lumberjack buddy, congratulations on your move. I was worried you were gone there for a while. Just want you to know your work is needed and much appreciated. Larger boost coming soon. Oh, oh, well, cool. Hey, user with a shit ton of numbers. If this is the guy that I think me and you were talking, I uh, mean, you were talking a couple of years ago and you were out in the middle of the damn sticks and we were talking about if, if that's you, Get in touch with me on Twitter. It's Ghost of Nunya because they shit canned my old account. Ghost of Nunya. Uh, give me a direct message. Uh, my DMs are, in fact, open. Uh, user, again, with a shit ton of numbers with 50 sats and there's just no message. Always give me a message. I love the messages. It, it, it makes me smile. It makes me smile. And what made me smile last night was meeting a shit ton of um, cattle people. Um, let, I'm trying to think about how to do this. Cause I don't norm, this is not the format of the show in general. So I'm completely out of my depth, completely out of my element here. Uh, so please do forgive me, but I, I think that this is important. As you all know, uh, I gave, uh, Texas slim his second interview and that was before the beef initiative was even a thing. He had just come out, uh, with harvest of deception uh, he had gone on harvest as hooked up with a harvest company as a, as a, you know, as a work hand and cruised up to almost the Canadian border and back down harvesting, you know, well, whatever it corn, probably mostly and soy. That's sort of the Midwest. Uh, that's sort of what the Midwest makes now. Uh, and he'd started talking about food. He started talking about nutrition. He started talking about how bankrupt our food system was and, 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 and he started taking us down the rabbit hole with him. But a lot of us had already had concerns about nutrition. You know, you already had the ketos Bitcoiners. You already had the carnivore Bitcoiners. We were already talking about meat by the time that Texas slim, you know, happened, happened upon our, our, and, and graced our backyard. And thank God he did. He's, if you haven't met the guy, uh, he's a great guy. He really is. I, I miss him terribly too. He was I, was, I considered him and still do consider him a good friend, but you know, he was the only Bitcoiner I was able to meet up with face to face on a regular basis because we both lived in Canyon or, you know, the, the Texas panhandle in general, Amarillo Canyon area. That's sort of a whole thing. If you've never been there, if you go there, you'll, you'll, you'll understand it. Anyway, in, in either event, we were able to hook up in uh, Canyon a couple of times. We were able to hook up in Amarillo a couple of times and just all around solid dude. Then he starts the beef initiative and he starts that whole thing with go shake your rancher's hand. Now I had lived in West Texas pretty much. Well, yeah, from the day that I was born, uh, I moved to Austin for maybe six months or eight months of my life and then moved right back to West Texas. Um, so that's the only time that I wasn't in West Texas. Uh, and after all that time, I realized I didn't, I didn't know any ranchers. And so after hanging out with Texas Slim, I, I got to know some ranchers. I got to know Jason Rich or Rick. He's out there in uh, close, closer to Montrose, Colorado, which is North, uh, West part of Colorado, um, over there by Black Canyon, uh, if you haven't seen Black Canyon, you got to go, dude. Got to go. Second deepest canyon in the United States. Um, I got to know Jason Rick. Oh, and and uh, I met these guys over in Kerrville at Beef Initiative Conference number one. All right. I was at the very, I was at the inaugural one. Proud to be there. And I got to meet the guy uh, from uh, K&C Cattle, who's down there in Central Texas, Austin, Texas. 
And I wasn't able to go to the second one uh, on Jason Rick's ranch. And I wasn't, and I certainly wasn't able to go to the one that I really, really wanted to go to was over in Bluffton, Georgia with Will Harris III. Will Harris is, he's kind of the guy that, that sent me down the rabbit hole of um, regenerative agriculture and permaculture in the first damn place. And if it hadn't have been for Will Harris, I probably would not have actually found Bitcoin when I did in 2015. And I feel lucky. But that's the thing is that I'm seeing a whole bunch of Bitcoiners and I've talked about it before. Seeing a whole bunch of Bitcoiners not only are they interested in nutrition and have been for quite a while, now, now they're starting to want to get the hell out of the cities, which I've been screaming for a long time. I mean, I, I, I don't mind living in a small town. That's one thing. But Houston, fuck you, dude. You couldn't pay me to live in New York City, Chicago, Detroit, LA, Seattle, Tacoma, nothing. I wouldn't even live in Dallas. I'd consider the outskirts of Fort Worth, but uh-uh, no, 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 you know. I'm not going to, and one of the reasons why I didn't like Austin is nothing about Austin. It's just that it was too big. I don't like it. So I'm seeing a bunch of Bitcoiners that are wanting to get the hell out. They're starting to get interested in land. They're starting to get interested in, well, what does it take to run a ranch? How do you raise these animals? How are they killed? What is their life like? What is a rancher's life like? They're asking these questions and they're getting fucking serious about it. I mean, there's some serious OG Bitcoiners out there that are, that's now, that's their plan. That's their citadel is 50 acres, 500 acres, maybe a full section of land at 640 acres. Who knows? I, you know, it, you can make a citadel on one acre if you wanted to. If you had a, a one acre vegetable garden and like a, like a 2,000, two and a half thousand square foot house set off to the side. That vegetable garden on one acre is the size of a football field. It will kick your ass. <laughs> okay. You don't need 500 acres to grow enough food for, you know, a family of four. And one acre will definitely kick your ass. But people are starting to get interested in pasture health. These, you know, and what kind of grasses are there? And what do grasses do when they're in the soil? What do they do for the soil? What what does the soil do for the grass and how does that affect animal health that, that eats, you know, that munches upon said grass? Well, all these questions are starting to come out. And during the Kerrville, uh, the inaugural beef initiative conference, right? We had, a, there was about a hundred people there just around there. I know, I don't know the exact number you'd have to actually ask Slim, but I think it was about a hundred. And almost a full half of those guys were not Bitcoiners, but were ranchers or grassland management or, or something like that. Maybe they had heard about Bitcoin. The other side of the room, completely opposite. A solid geek ass nerding out on financial technology, economics, who knows who Jay Powell is, knows Keynesian economics is a bad deal. And are just solid ass Bitcoiners. Maybe they've heard about what goes on in ranching. And for that day and that night at the dinner, especially, I'll, I've said it once, I'll say it again. I saw ranchers ranch pilling Bitcoiners and Bitcoiners orange pilling ranchers. And it was so beautiful because the ranchers were starting to become genuinely interested in what the hell we were saying. Which brings me to last night. Last night was an interesting night for me. Now, there wasn't a shit ton of people. There was about seven people at this meeting. I am in the extreme, <laughs> extreme eastern side of Washington. There's a lot more ranching and farming going on over here than uh, there is, you know, close, close to the Seattle side of Washington. But I met, let's see, one. Let's say, hold on, there's two women there and one, two, three, four guys. And then there was me, right? So I'm like, what? So I'm like, I make up number seven. So there were seven of us total. And um, when I went, <clears throat> I had to drive to another town, <laughs> you know, like a good 20 minutes away or something like that. Um, and meet up at a fence company, of all things. 
And they got this little side room that they use for the Whitman County, uh, Whitman County Cattlemen's Association or just Whitman Cattlemen's Association. Now, why in the hell would a, someone like me who does a podcast about the news and Bitcoin want to go to a freaking cattleman's meeting? I don't, I mean, I know a shit ton about soil. You guys know that, but that does not make me a rancher. It, I am no more of a rancher than the guy who hasn't read any of the soil books that I've read. We are the same. Just because I got 45 books worth of pasture management and soil health and how cattle move across that soil doesn't mean a thing. And I had to be real humble with these guys to tell them that and say, look, man, you know, I, 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 I am here to become educated on what you do and why you do it. Sorry, I had a weird glitch in my computer that I'd never seen before. Um, I think we're okay. Yeah, yeah, we're okay. Okay, so first of all, let's go back to the day before yesterday. <clears throat> so I'm calling around to the ranchers that I can, you know, I was doing research, finding like ranches, getting the phone numbers and calling it and getting what? An answering machine. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was leaving messages. Hey. Name's David. Here's my telephone number. Uh, here's my email address. If you would rather write me instead of call me, I'm interested in what you do. I want to come out. I want to. I, I want to tour. I want to. I want to know what you do and how you do it. And got Bupkis back. Three or four of these things, right? And then last week I tried again, and I was getting nowhere, and I was getting a little pissed. Certainly getting frustrated, way past frustrated. So I called the, uh, who was it? Let me see if I can bring him up again. No, like a dumbass, I put him out uh, or took that tab down. It's the Washington Beef Council, if I'm, if I'm thinking about this right. Washington Beef Council. And generally speaking, that kind of thing, and they're not named the same in your state, okay? You'll kind of have to read between the lines on how to figure out who these people are, but you're, what you're looking for is an association of cattlemen. And why would I do that? Well, I, I was pretty sure that they would have a directory, telephone numbers, emails, all that contact information that I need of working ranches in the state of Washington. Sure enough, they do. But the conversation became interesting because the woman that I was talking to uh, was what she said. She goes, well, she's like, why do you want, are you just interested in buying beef? I was like, yeah, I'm absolutely interested in buying beef, but moreover, ma'am, I need to know who my rancher is. I want to know how they do their thing, but more importantly, why some of these people are on razor thin margins and it gets worse. We'll get into that. Um, but she, she goes, okay, so I get it. So she's, she, she goes, look, you want, you're out there in Whitman County and you can go to the Whitman County's cattle cattlemen's association. She's like, and then she goes, wait a minute, hold on. Let me pull up my email and see if they got a meeting. Uh, and then she goes, Oh, by the way, <laughs> yes, they do have a meeting and it's, you know, in like a little bit more than 24 hours from now, six, you know, it was like six o'clock. <laughs> and so I had like, like a day to go, Oh shit. Uh, whatever it was that I was going to do, I got to cancel it. Uh, I got to get, you know, talk to my wife. I was supposed to go to, you know, my kids, uh, school cause they were having an open house. But if I see one more public school, open house, I'm going to puke. Um, and I didn't need to. And I, I talked to her about it. I said, look, I really want to go. And she's like, dad, just go, go. And so thank God, thank God. She's such a sweetheart. So, um, where was I? Uh, so then this lady says, she starts asking me questions and she goes, well, you know, where are you from and how'd you get here? And we were going through all the niceties and, and it just popped out. She's like, oh, she goes, so you mentioned you had a podcast and I didn't say it was a Bitcoin podcast. <laughs> I just said podcast. Now I don't want to scare anybody, you know, right when I'm up here and that's when we started talking about the, one of the other reasons I wanted to get a hold of these guys is that 
I want to interview them. I want to put them on air. I want to get their voices out there because, you know, there's a lot of ranching that goes on up here. There's a lot of horsemanship. There's a lot of farming. There's a lot of ag. In fact, if I can believe the numbers from the uh, Washington Beef Council, the beef industry in the state of Washington by itself rakes in $5.7 billion with a B dollars every single year. That's not anything that you sneeze at at the state level. Yeah, sure, other states have, you know, are getting in more money, but sure, there's a lot of other states that are getting in a shit ton less. And this is just beef. This isn't pork. This isn't chicken. This isn't anything but beef. $5.7 billion. It's an important industry up here. So that's when I said, well, it just so happens that she's like, what kind of podcast is it? And I go, well, you're going to laugh because it's a Bitcoin podcast. And she goes, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah. She's like, I don't. I don't get how, how does that fit? And I was like, well, I, I don't want to bore you with the details, but it has a lot to do with sovereignty. And she understood at that point what I was kind of getting at. And we had a nice long conversation after that. And we talked a little bit about soil and she gave me a few names. But what I was interested in doing was immediately going to that damn meeting, which I went to last night. And I was greeted way more warmly than I ever thought I was going to be greeted because there were four guys in there and they were all ranchers and they had been ranching for decades. And I literally had to look at them in the eye and say, I know nothing about what you do. And I want that shit to change right now. I told them what I wanted. I was like, I want to get to know you guys. And I want to start forming a network. I want to come out to your place. I want to see what it is that you do and how you do it, more importantly, why. So I told them the same thing, and they were completely accepting. And I got to sit in that two-and-a-half-hour meeting, and they went over the new bylaws of the association that was coming down out of Washington State. Some of the boring stuff, some of the, this is, you know, how the sausage is made, quote-unquote. But then things started turning dark. Not for me but for everybody in that room because the district representative of the Cattlemen's Association has to be present at each one of these things. And there's like eight or nine of them throughout the state and a district representative from Washington Cattlemen's Association has to be at each one of these meetings. So this woman, that's our particular district rep, she starts talking about, there is a get this out of Washington state university. They are running what's called, the least conflict solar uh, LCSS. It was like least conflict solar situation or something like that, where they're doing a mapping survey of Washington state and they're trying to get input from all these ranchers and cattlemen and farmers and anybody else that has anything to do with ag as to where is the best place to put this. And the district rep was like, if you guys do not speak up and start speaking up about this. They are going to put it, they're going to do this anyway, whether you bitch, cry, and moan. And she actually said that. And it was like, oh, I think I kind of know these people already because they're not pulling any punches. She said, if you don't start speaking up, they are going to put this shit where you don't want it. So here we are. We've got this massive solar farm that they want to put somewhere in Washington state. And that got me to start blinking and I started having a little bit of a visceral reaction and wasn't just that started talking about a couple other things, but the gentleman sitting across the uh, way from me and I won't use any names cause I'm not going to dox anybody until I put them on the air. Um, he just kind of looked at me and I go, I go, sir, I'm, I go, I'm sorry, but I, I will demonstrate sometimes very, you know, physically visceral reactions when I hear stupid bullshit and they started laughing and that's when I started talking about soil. <laughs> oh shit. So I had already told them my, my primary story of, you know, I want to meet you guys. I want to see what you guys do and how you do it and all that lovely stuff. And now when it turned dark, cause all of a sudden in my head, I'm thinking of a solar panel shading out the grass and the grass dies 
and the microbes in the soil that help hold the soil together have no more food source. And what happens to the soil when there's no microbes? Well, they're not producing stuff called glomalin, which is mycorrhizal uh, fungi is a major producer of glomalin. And that glues soil particles together and gives it its tilth and its ability to soak in water and retain it. If that goes away, and it will, if you, shade, if you permanently shade out grass, that shit's gone. Glomalin's gone because there's no metabolites to be able for or to be able to be used by the microbiology in the soil to do all the stuff that microbiology in the soil does to make it soil it becomes sand and a good hard rain will wash that shit right the fuck away and i said it pretty much just that way a room full of people that i'd never met with two women Because that's how passionate I am about this stuff. And every single one of them said, I'm glad you're here. And I'm not tooting my own horn. What I'm saying is that if you give two shits about the environment, you probably need to go shake your rancher's hand, not just to get beef from them. Not just to know how they raise the animals. They don't know that you care. How's that one? Hmm? You know, Texas Slim talks a lot about that, that he's trying to give the cattlemen a platform. Because they don't have a platform to stand on to speak. Most of them just want to be on the ranch. They want to be around their animals. Why do you think that they're out there in the first fucking place? You think it's because they love people? No, man. Ranches don't, ranches and ranching do not, don't really attract the kind of people that want to be in, uh, you know, in a suit and tie or a bow tie and, and, you know, tails and go to some kind of white tie dinner and, and glad hand a bunch of fucking senators. They don't want to have anything to do with this shit. They, it's not that they don't like people. They just kind of introverted. These guys are kind of introverted. They understand animals psychology better than they understand human psychology. Probably because animals ain't all screwed up. They don't, they don't, they don't have TikTok. You see what I'm saying? That's Texas slim. But what I learned very, in a very hard lesson last night that took about 10 milliseconds to sink in when I was looking at the rancher right to my right in his eye, because he was kind enough to show me a video of him on his phone. Okay. Well, he showed me on his phone. He's like, well, here's one of the things that I do. And he's got a team of four Clydesdales pulling a horse-drawn carriage that's got two round bales of hay in it up a hill because up in the, in the Palouse region of Washington where I'm at, these hills are big. And he's doing that because a machine won't get up there in the middle of winter, and that's when he was doing the shit. He's like, here's some of the shit that I do. And he was excited to show me. And I looked at him, and I, was, I, go, I go, look. He, he said, he's like, he was excited to show me. He's like, but... Nobody's going to find this exciting. And I looked at him and I said, I guarantee you that if you ask anybody that does the same thing for most of their life, if they're excited about it and that like, it's not, it's like, this is your life. That's different. So you're not going to think your life is exciting to somebody else. And I looked at him and I said, but I guarantee you there are people out there that want to know exactly what you're doing and why. And he said, well, I never hear from them. And I go, because they don't have a platform to talk to you. We need both of the platforms, ladies and gentlemen. Not only do we need people like Slim, who's giving a platform to the rancher to get the rancher's message out to the public, the public don't have any platform at all to say that they are not only appreciative of the rancher and that they want to buy the rancher's beef, but that they're interested in what they're doing and why. If you don't go out and shake your rancher's hand and tell them that you are interested in what they do and you want to know more then they're always going to think that the public fucking hates them because I am going to end it on this note before we'd run numbers. 
What I heard last night scared the piss out of me because I could see it in their faces when they were talking about the solar array. I could see it when we were talking about soil. I could see it when we were talking about any of the number of things that I had brought up or that they had brought up. They think the public hates them because that's all they get. That's all they get. Texas was the same way. And I told him, I said, look, I don't know anything about it. I'm brand new, man. I'm a freshly minted noob in Eastern Washington. So I know exactly jack shit about what you feel about this. But I will tell you what the guys in Texas feel. They feel like they've been under siege for at least two decades. And every single one of those guys nodded. And they were like, we feel that way too. People blaming us for cow farts. You know, I said, well, people blaming y'all for cow farts are stupid anyway because they're, they're not farts that make methane. It's the burps. And they started laughing because they get it. There are some things that I do know about this shit that I can have a conversation with these people. They hadn't seen anybody new show up in that room for years, guys. You don't have to have cows. I paid for a full year's membership to the Washington Cattlemen's Association, I am no hat and no cattle. And I told them that directly. And there is a spot, at least in Washington State, that is called an associate membership. You pay one-third of the dues and you get no vote. We talked about that last night. That was part of the new bylaws, is that the associate members get no vote. And the president of Whitman County looked at me and said, well, what do you think about that? And I'd been there for 20 minutes, ladies and gentlemen. And the president of, I mean, it's a small group. I get it. But still the president, he's looking at a complete fucking noob that told him straight up that he doesn't know shit about cattle. What I think, what do I think? Mr. 15 minutes fresh off the street. I told him what I thought. I don't know what it's like to lose cattle in the middle of winter because it froze to death. I don't know what it's like when your gate gets left open by some fucking Yahoo said he was going to close it and half your herd gets out and you got to go round them up off the highway. I don't know what it's like to fix fences in February. I don't know what it's like to have to shoot up all my cattle with God only knows what vaccinations and wondering if it's going to screw them up. And if I take all of that and all the rest of the stuff that you guys have to do every single day and wrap it up into a little ball, that's your experience. And I have none of it. So therefore, everything that I'm about to say is simply my opinion. I don't think I should have a vote in that room. You may disagree with me, dear listener, but I don't think I should be able to go to an association meeting of cattlemen and be able to have a vote in how they're going to live their life if I am no hat, no cattle. If I'm all hat, no cattle, I shouldn't get a vote. Only if I'm dealing with those animals on land, whether leased or owned, will I ever know what their life is like. Therefore, I should get no vote. But the fact that he asked my opinion led me to believe that you can do this shit too. Go find your Locals or your local beef council, if you don't know how to get a hold of these guys, then call your state. I know we hate the state, but sometimes they keep really good directories. I now have access to every cow producer in Washington, and I paid $45 to get that. And I'm good with that. In fact, I overpaid. I paid another 50 bucks in for five different things that I could donate to, and I did. Because I feel it's important. I want you to feel that it's important too. I told him last night, and I'll finish with this. I feel something is about to change. At least when it comes to this. I wasn't going to go in there and talk about Bitcoin, but I did. Because they were asking me, who else knows? You know, is there anybody else like you? I said, yeah, there there are dozens of us. It's a joke, but there's more than that. You know it, and I know it. I told them that my podcast was a Bitcoin podcast, and they would go, what? And I was like going, yeah, because the people that I talk to are just as concerned about sovereignty as you are concerned about your sovereignty, except it's different, kind of. One is money. The other is land and cattle and your lifestyle. 
I go, but I guarantee you that the same notions that Bitcoiners have about money are a mirror image of your notions about your sovereignty upon your land with your cattle and your lifestyle, your history and your future. And they go hand in hand a lot more than you might think. And they did not laugh. And when I left, I felt like I was part of that group, even though I ended up having to talk about Bitcoin. I'm going to talk to more of these guys. I'm going to bring them to you. I don't know how and I don't know when, but I'm starting the journey. I want you to go on the journey with me. You can ponder that shit while we run the numbers and God knows it's a fucking bloodbath out there. Markets being basted in blood. West Texas Intermediate down a full 5.82% to $78.63. We haven't seen that price in months. Brent North Sea down almost five points to $86.05, meaning Saudi Arabia and OPEC could not maintain the $90 peg. That's important. Natural gas down 3.55% to $6.83 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline down five and a quarter percent to $2.38. Don't think you're going to see any relief at the pump for that though. All shiny metal rocks plummeting to earth like like banshees gold down 1.84% to $1,650. Silver is down a full four and a quarter percent. Platinum down 5.8% people. Copper down 3.8%. Palladium down a full five. Agricultural shit, not good. Wheat down 3.71%. Soybeans bathed in blood, 2.13% to the downside. Corn getting its ass kicked, 2% to the downside. Sugar down 1.14. Coffee down 1.5. Cotton taking it in the nuts, 4.14% to the downside. Cocoa down 2.89%. Going back to cotton, when I went to the uh, beef initiative, In Kerrville, I went in spring, which is when all these farmers in Texas should have been planting cotton. Nobody was planting cotton. They were already giving up on the year. And it's a good thing, too, because, you know, after today, you know, they're still selling cotton. They're still selling the bales of cotton into, you know, the harvest is just over. So those who did spend the money on cotton get they're getting drugged through the mud right now. So, you know, farmers ain't exactly being treated any better than ranchers. <clears throat> Dow down 2.72%. S&P down 2.9. NASDAQ down 2.8. S&P mini coming in at the bottom, man. 3.42% to the downside. Everybody is getting ransacked. Because, you know, 75 basis points, but we got to move on. Uh, Bitcoin's actually, amazingly enough, is kind of holding its own. 18725 bucks, 2.4 million BTC changing hands in the last 24 hours. 9.59 BTC is the average transaction value. 0.026 BTC median transaction value. That's right around 500 bucks. Block times are hideously high. Get Can you imagine why? 11 minutes and 31 seconds with 0.11 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 14.5 BTC taken overall in the past 24 hours in fees. And with an 8.65% drop in hash rate, we are down to just over 200 exahashes, 203.9 exahashes per second to be exact. And your shitcoin indicator has actually rebounded above Six United States pennies. Dogecoin coming in at 6.3 United States pennies. 13,194 transactions waiting on seven blocks to clear. We have a $359.1 billion market cap, which is 3.3% of gold's entire market cap. And you can get 11.4 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,158,448.42 of, and 4,814.9 of them, little sons of bitches, are jammed into the Lightning Network valued at 90 
$1.3 million for being run over 17,202 nodes, sporting 85,087 payment channels, and Tor capacity has dipped again. 69.8% of the Lightning Network is run over Tor. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the snooze that you can use. Let's do this one from Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, Stephen Lavera is writing this one entitled, You Can Believe the Maximalists. Bitcoin is separate from crypto. Financial Times columnist Jemima Kelly, that racist name, published an article entitled, Don't Believe the Maximalists, Bitcoin Can't Be Separated from Crypto, earlier today. And I'd like to share some reactions from a Bitcoiner perspective. Quoted text below is all from Kelly's article. Uh, before I begin reading the rest of this article, Jemima Kelly made one of the worst predictions ever, like back in, oh God, what was it, 2015? She was noting, oh look, uh, Bitcoin's gone from 800 to 300. It's over, it's dead. And people started lambasting her, lambasting her because somebody retweeted that 2015 tweet. And I think she got pissed. And apparently the bitch can write because... She wrote an entire fucking article because she was so pissed off. I'm not sure if that's exactly how it worked out, but Jemima, Aunt Jemima is pissed off and she ain't being sweet, okay? I'm just saying, if you remember Aunt Jemima, you know what I'm talking about. So here's her first quote from whatever piece that she wrote. If you have ever dared to direct criticism at the world of crypto, the chances are you will have received some charming rebukes. You are likely to have been told to have fun staying poor. <laughs> That's the end of the quote. Steven's response, for what it's worth, I believe that have fun staying poor meme is mostly meant in jest and not a serious statement of ill intent towards another person. Why? Because we popularly saw Bitcoiners telling Elon Musk, the richest man in the world at the time, to have fun staying poor as he backs away from his public support of Bitcoin. Clearly, this is not meant as a serious rebuke. Kelly's quote, <clears throat> or Aunt Jemima says, but there is another slightly more sophisticated flavor of counter-criticism finding its way into my inbox with increasing regularity these days. It usually starts with something designed to appease, some kind of agreement that crypto is immoral, a scam, or some version of a Ponzi scheme, but then it quickly changes course to explain that none of this applies to Bitcoin, end quote. Here is where my principal disagreement with this article lies. I and many other Bitcoiners do believe that we should draw a line of distinction between Bitcoin and crypto. Bitcoin is, in, is unique in many ways. It has no pre-mine or dev tax to enrich the founder or founding team. It has a culture that actually prioritizes decentralizing the ecosystem. It enables cheap blockchain validation and participation while also maintaining a robust, open, scalable, trust-minimized system. It has very strong preference for soft forking and retaining backwards and forward compatibility for those running older Bitcoin node software. It is continually growing in acceptance and mindshare around the world. Of course, this does wax and wane with bull and bear markets, but zoomed out, Bitcoin liquidity and acceptance is only going one way, and that's up. Once you genuinely explore these points, you will find that only Bitcoin meets these criteria. Many altcoins regularly hard fork, which is an indicator that they have a certain level of centralization in their development and community. Other altcoins do things that simply would not be scalable if they were scaled up to the level of Bitcoin and the number of Bitcoin transactions. Other altcoins do things that are more permissioned and thus they are not an open system like Bitcoin is. You might even argue that a specific altcoin does one specific thing better than Bitcoin does. But are any of them meaningfully making improvements on the whole? I don't think so. And that's why Bitcoin is rightly in the category of its own. There is also the question of whether Bitcoin should have these supposed other features or things, as this may also cause negative trade-offs in one of the other worthwhile qualities of the system, like robustness, decentralization, scalability, verifiability, etc., 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 yada, 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 yakety schmackety, yakety boom. Kelly seems to believe that Bitcoin arguments don't stand up as she takes issue with any financial incentives whatsoever. You know, for instance, quote, 
First, it doesn't matter what Bitcoin's origins were. The people who push it now have the same financial incentives as those pushing any other crypto token, end quote. How is this a justified attack on Bitcoin prom a promotion? <laughs> Imagine that you're an investor in a company and you openly promoted that company without hiding the fact that you are an investor. Is there an issue with this? Now, imagine that there are fraudulent competitors that purport to be in the same industry. You ad advocate for people to use the product of your non-fraudulent company instead. Where is the ethical issue? How would you disprove, or how would this disprove you? It simply doesn't, unless you're clutching at straws or pearls. Of course, Bitcoin is not a company, but in any case, the promise of Bitcoin is not that there were no people who got in cheaper than you, which is an absurd and impossible standard to live up to. The promise of Bitcoin is an open, decentralized, scarce, robust, programmable monetary system with no rulers. The product does what it proverbially says on the tin and Kelly's critique falls flat. Kelly again, quote, Second Bitcoin, or second, Bitcoin is not, in fact, decentralized. Not only do miners group together to form mining pools, but wealth is also hugely concentrated, end quote. Kelly is not correctly summarizing the relationship between miners and pools. Miners are distinct entities from pools, and they can repoint their hash rate to a different pool quickly. And so while there may be comparatively a smaller amount of pools, individual miners can and do switch between them as it is a brutally uh, competitive market. See this screenshot as of September 23rd, 2022 from the Brains Insights dashboard, which shows how pools are headquartered in different countries around the world. And of course, the screenshot does in fact show that. Also topical is the recent pooling news that saw the company suspend withdrawals. Given this, a lot of miners pointed their hash rate away from pooling. Notice how Poolin's global share of Bitcoin mining hash has gone from 12% previously down to around 4% at the time of writing. Another Kelly quote. On Tuesday, MicroStrategy announced that it had bought another 301 Bitcoins, meaning this company alone now holds almost 0.7% of the entire supply. <laughs> Kelly claims to steel man the argument in this article, but unfortunately she does a his poor job steel manning on the question of Bitcoin ownership. If she grasped the libertarian and cypherpunk ethos of Bitcoin, she would understand that the point is to create a monetary system without coercing people into it. So, of course, given this, there will be some people who get it before others do. Those who get it will buy, earn, or mine coins before others do. The fact that one company owns 0.7% of the circulating supply of Bitcoin is not an issue. So, Bitcoin remains far more decentralized than the crypto coins. Kelly again. Third, a first mover advantage does not always last, end quote. That's true in a general business context. However, to understand why Bitcoin is distinct, we have to understand just why and how far it beats alternatives, be they fiat money, gold, or altcoins. Generally, in order to displace another product, you have to come up with something 10 times better. But with Bitcoin, it's doubtful that 10 times better is even possible. Here, I'll quote my friend Gigi in his recent Twitter thread. And there's two, two parts to this particular thread excerpt. Der Gigi says in December, on December 11th, 2021, most people are unaware that Bitcoin has won both these races already. Further, the design space of money is limited. A 10x improvement on the monetary properties of Bitcoin is not possible. Bitcoin is close to perfect money. It is absolutely scarce, has infinite value density, can be teleported at very low cost, can be validated cheaply, is programmable, and so on and so forth. End tweet. The design space of money is limited, and a tenfold improvement on the monetary properties of Bitcoin is simply not possible. You can marginally improve one thing, but only by dramatically worsening trade-offs in other ways. Kelly then writes again about the incentive of Maximalist. Yay, that's me. Quote, the real reason Bitcoin maximalists want to separate Bitcoin from the rest of crypto is to create the illusion of scarcity in a world where there is none. End quote. 
Well, it's fair to say that Bitcoin maximalists have an incentive and want to distinguish Bitcoin from crypto. But the real question is, are they right? Yes. Yes, they are. <laughs> Bitcoin is rightly distinguished from altcoins, but it just takes a lot of research and reading to understand why. Unfortunately, Kelly's not done the research required and presents only a shallow surface level misunderstanding. Well, Stephen Lavera, you're correct. And most of the people that bag on Bitcoin don't know enough about Bitcoin to bag on Bitcoin, and yet they still do, which is why they always sound so stupid five years into the future. Kelly wrote her tweet about how Bitcoin was dead because it went from 800 to 350 in 2015. Here we are, seven years later, and Kelly's still saying the same stupid shit. It's like Paul Krugman cloned himself into a whole bunch of little creatures both male and female, and just let them run out into Twitter like they're running out into traffic. And they ju we just keep running them over. This is not going to stop. You know, I warn everybody, including Stephen Lavera, it's not going to stop. We will probably all be in our graves. Bitcoin will still be chunking out blocks in roughly about 10 minutes. And people like Kelly will still be walking around saying stupid shit about Bitcoin. I, I don't know what to tell you. So just, you know, and I'm just as bad as everybody else. I got into Kelly's shit, you know, night, night before last. You know, I probably, I probably was one of the people that she saw that got her riled up. And, you know, after a few other people said something to her, she said, right, I'm going to write another article about how Bitcoin is dead and Bitcoin maximalists are stupid. Never, ever, ever forget that these people are never going to stop doing what they're doing. And neither are these other people. Australia's central bank has equity wiped out by billions in bond losses. Whoop-de-doo. CNBC.com. Australia's central bank on Wednesday said its equity had been wiped out. You want me to read that again? Australia's central bank on Wednesday said its equity had been wiped out by losses suffered on pandemic-era bond buying. But its ability to create money meant it was not insolvent and would continue as normal. Dare I read the rest of this bullshit? Reserve Bank of Australia Deputy Governor Michelle Bullock said the bank had taken a mark-to-market valuation loss on its bond holdings of a mere 44.9 billion Australian dollars, that's about 30 billion dollars US, in the years 2021-2022. The bonds were accumulated under a uh, $300 billion or Australian dollar emergency stimulus program that ran from November 2020 to February 2022. The losses eclipsed underlying earnings of 8.2 Australian billion or billion Australian dollars and left the central bank with an accounting loss of 36.7 billion Australian dollars. It also ate up all the RBA's reserve funds, a joy leaving it with a negative net equity position of... 12.4 billion Australian dollars. Bullock noted, though, that while this would bankrupt a normal commercial entity, the RBA's liabilities are guaranteed by the government. Quote, furthermore, since it has the ability to create money, the bank can continue to meet its obligations as they become due, and so it's not insolvent. Quote, the negative equity position will therefore not affect the ability of the Reserve Bank to do its job. The RBA intends to hold the bonds until maturity and likely make a profit at that time. So, you know, offsetting the valuation losses. Bullock noted other central banks around the world would be facing similar losses on their emergency stimulus programs, though many did mark their assets to market like the RBA. In July... The Swiss National Bank reported a first half loss of 95.2 billion Swiss francs, the biggest since the central bank was founded in 1907. The RBA also faces ongoing financial losses on its bond holdings, which it estimates could range from 35 billion Australian dollars to as much as 58 billion out of 2033 when the last of the bonds mature. <coughs> 
<laughs> As a result, the RBA expects to retain any future profits to rebuild its capital position and thus does not expect to pay any dividend to the government for a number of years, said Bullock. That also means the RBA would not require a cash injection from the government as happened in 2013 when the bank suffered valuation losses on foreign currency reserves. Treasurer Jim Chalmers earlier said he agreed with RBA's position and argued that the bond buying program had played a key part in helping the economy through the pandemic. Chalmers recently set up an independent inquiry into RBA's policy framework, board structure, and communications. I don't know why they even put that last sentence in there, but dude, the Central Bank of Australia is insolvent. Say it with me again. The Central Bank of Australia is what? Boys and girls, insolvent. But that's okay, because they'll just print more fucking money. Why does anybody trust any of these people to go to the bathroom, much less handle global economies or their national parts in it? We have to stop believing these people. Well, we have to stop believing what they say, but we also have to stop believing these people should be in charge. I don't even care if they're competent or not. I'm not going to say that this chick is incompetent. I don't know. All I do know is that this, this, I'm, I am no longer, I, of course, I haven't done this in a while, but I'm no longer ever going to believe anybody that tells me I should trust Jerome Powell because he knows better than me. Bullshit. Bullshit. I no longer, I am 100, after this thing, I know that I've shed the last speck of any respect that I had for any of the system telling me I should listen to these people because they are elected or they are appointed or they have an MBA or they've got a Nobel laureate. I don't fucking care anymore. None of these people should be walking around this planet breathing our oxygen. I don't know if they're lizard people or aliens. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. All I know is that this kind of shit is just straight up crap. I'm insolvent, yet it's okay because I can print money. No. Absolutely refuse to believe anything any of these people say forever and ever and ever. Maybe Estonia has a glimmer of hope because they've approved the first Bitcoin crypto bank after new legislation. Bitcoin Magazine, Sean Amick tells us more. Striga, a Bitcoin and cryptocurrency banking infrastructure provider, became the first virtual asset service provider to gain regulatory approval in Estonia following the country's revamping of its digital asset legal framework per an announcement from the Financial Intelligence Unit. The Money Laundering and Terrorist Financing Prevention Act, which became active earlier this March, strengthened regulations against virtual asset service providers while assuring customers and traders in the region that they would not be affected. Mm -hmm. The Money Laundering and Terrorist Financial Prote Protection Act. Oh, sorry, I just read that. Uh, got screwed up because of an ad pop-up. Uh, this means that the legislation does not contain any measures to ban customers from owning and trading virtual assets and does not in any way require customers to share their private keys to wallets, the Minister of Finance said. Essentially, the law requires VASPs to provide identities of their customers, uh, but not private keys. If a VASP cannot provide identification, the provider is expected to implement real-time risk analysis. Additionally, the legislation amends those who are capable of obtaining approval to operate in Estonia as a VASP. Under new rules, the Financial Intelligence Unit can decline a license where the entity does not have any business operations in Estonia, nor has any apparent connection to Estonia, the Ministry of Finance continued. Furthermore, one of the most stringent requirements of VASPs was the addition of capital requirements which made it more difficult for smaller companies to get approved. Re regulatory capture. It's a regulatory moat. It's yay. It's happening all over again. VASPs will be required to have a minimum of 125,000 or 350,000 euros of share capital, depending on the type of service offered, increasing from the current floor of 12,000 euros 
According to the Ministry of Finance, you know what my Bitcoin and Lightning node that's four feet away from me says? Fuck you. That's what it says. Why can it say that? A, to get my node, you're going to have to pry it from a cold, dead hand. And second, I can do all the shit a VASP can do, and I'm not going to put up 350,000 fucking euros to do it. I might go to jail one of these days, but it's not because I ran over a granny or shot up a school or robbed a bank or killed my neighbor or anything like that. It'll be because I refuse to shut down my node, allowing people to financially transact with each other peer-to-peer across the globe, across time and space with real fucking value. I'm not going to do it. I'm not shutting down my node. The only way my node gets shut down is if you pry it from my cold dead hand, you pull the plug on it, and then you completely physically destroy it. And even then that might not work because here's the last thing that I'm going to say. I've said it a couple of times. If you're out there and you're working on Lightning Network, and if you're also, not also, but all those other, the other people that are working on Bitcoin core nodes, and I'm talking about physical nodes, like an Umbral or uh, my node running on a Raspberry Pi 4 like I got or whatever, start nine, it doesn't matter. I need failover of my Lightning node to another geographic location. I need that. You need that. You don't, if you don't know that you need that, just trust me, you need that. If my lightning node decides to catch on fire right now, I could probably recover it and the channels, but it's a lot of work. That's okay. It's not that I don't mind the work. What if I can't do the work to recover it? What if I get swatted and they burn the house down like they did in Waco and all my shit goes up in flames? Yes, I know I should have backups, but just bear with me for a second. What would be really freaking cool is if, if my Bitcoin node dies, gets separated from the network, something like a watchtower says, oh shit, the Bitcoin and Bitcoin node and lightning node has disappeared from the network and they've been gone for 12 hours. That's my timer. This is when I spin up a copy of what I have of that node and all its information on this other node that is, I don't know, in Colorado somewhere, like I've tucked it in a rafter at some vacation house that nobody knows about. And I've got it tied to the, you get my drift, like sort of like guerrilla warfare, right? It says, okay, well, it, it just spins it back up and it's like it never left the network. So then I get swatted. They pull a Waco on my ass and they burn the whole house down and all my shit gets burned up. And then about 12 hours later, whoop de doo that node's still alive. Let's say I've got five of them scattered around the United States. And they're all just copying each other. They got like some kind of back channel communication. They all have an exact copy of what goes on on the payment channels on Lightning, what the Bitcoin chain is, everything. And they get me and like, I don't know, they get me and they get a partial map of my other three Bitcoin nodes and they wipe out four out of the five and that fifth one in some hut in Uganda spins up and says, hello, I'm here. I can continue transacting. And I never had 350,000 euros to do it. You can have my node when you pry it from a cold dead hand, but you will never be sure you got them all. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Got a joke from Dad Says Joke. The man who invented throat lozenges died last week. There was no coffin at the funeral. If you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is your way to go. Get the fountain app. Do it, do it, do it. And then after you get the fountain app and you figure out that it's way cool, Email Oscar Mary and say, hey, you should, you should sponsor Bitcoin and podcast just, just for the grins of it. Oscar's a pretty cool guy. He might, might understand the joke, even though I'm not joking and neither should you, but you can stream me Satoshi's. You can give me boost grams begging you 
if you give me, if you're going to give me your money, give me something to say. Okay. I'm not trying to do, make you do extra work. I think that your voice should be heard if you give me 5,000 sats or something in a boostagram. Could be anything. I read a joke earlier today. It was actually pretty damn good. Send me more of those. Send me a news article. Send me something that I got wrong. Shit, I forgot. There was a, 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 a dude who says I'm wrong about BlackRock. Now, he, he DM'd me, so we're out of the whole boosting stuff and, and fountain app. But just so you know that I'm not a complete dick, about a couple of weeks ago, guy got a hold of me in my DMs and said, look, man, it's not BlackRock that's owning all the houses. That's a company called Blackstone. You got it wrong. I have to admit, I did not look into it. If, if anybody out there can confirm that it's not BlackRock that's buying up all the single family homes, but a company called Blackstone, I'd really appreciate you telling me, and you can do that in a boostergram from Fountain App, my favorite podcasting app, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.